Good morning. Happy Monday. I have Neuro Coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Coming off a very solid weekend. Uh, very busy day today. Digging straight into today's Q&A. This is with Taya. And Taya had a question that comes up a lot when we're talking about elbows. And this has to do with ulnar nerve. Uh, issues, some mobility issues, um, some extensibility issues, but all of this comes down to position and then adaptations that may be associated with those positions. So whenever we're talking about something that's in the distal extremity, we always have to be concerned with our proximal orientations and we have to work our way out. So shoulder girdle matters, elbow orientation matters, wrist orientation, and of course the hand, especially with ulnar nerve, because she describes two different scenarios in regards to ulnar nerve symptoms, um, both of which can be uh, determined in regards to the greatest influence as to where we'll see the most tension. And so we can use our neurodynamic tests under these circumstances to help us identify where that may be. And then that can help us drive our decision-making in regards to which orientation has the greatest influence. So thank you, Taya. Great question. Lots of information in this video for those of you that may be dealing with medial elbow symptoms, ulnar nerve symptoms, or even wrist symptoms. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com. AskBillHartman at gmail.com. Please put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. We'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Monday, and I'll see you tomorrow. Thank you, Wonder Woman. Um, my question is regarding the ulnar nerve hypermobility. Uh-huh. I just have a client that has a problem with the ulnar nerve, especially the sensation in the hand. So I just wanted to run my thought process uh, by you, just so if I understand this whole thing correctly. Yeah. So when you have this uh, issue, you have the whole humerus oriented into ER, as well as the upper forearm while the uh, lower part of the forearm is in pronated uh, pronation. So in this case, the pistol test is positive. Yeah, and the- um, hey. Yeah, go ahead, mm -hmm. keep going, sorry, you're fine. So this occipital tunnel gets uh, more flat, yep. which puts more pressure on the ulnar nerve, uh, nerve when the arm is flexing, okay. Okay, so the the with the hypermobility, are they are they sensing that the nerve is is clicking across the elbow? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, one one client, yes. The other one, no. The other one just feels the sensation it, like here and in the hand. Okay, because so so now you're gonna have to look. So you got to look at your hand orientation as well because. Um, I could have the, the, the issue might be the differential between the hand and the, and the wrist, right? Which is, mm -hmm. um, the, where the, where the nerve runs through the, the tunnel of Guyan. Okay. So the tunnel of Guyan is through here. Um, and so as, as it goes through there, there might be like a, a curve that it has to go around, which can cause some of the compressive strategy that would cause, is it just like numbness and things or is it pain? Yeah. Yeah. It's just numbness. Yeah. Okay. So like if the tingling sensation. Yeah, if, it's, if it's just if it's just here, then you've got a hand to wrist orientation. It doesn't mean you have to clean you you have to ignore this. It just means that it, it might be more local here. Whereas up here, you've got the, the shape change 
where the where the uh, the the nerve comes comes through the uh, the cubital tunnel there, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So so again, you might have you might have two different representations here. You're going to have to clarify that the the hand position and then the the humerus elbow position in both cases. Okay. And you may have to do the same thing. I don't know. Okay. But, but the thing I want you to rec recognize is like, where do you have the biggest differential might be where you spend more of your time. So if this is a bony bend, this is a bony bend yeah. here. This is, this could just be like a relationship of, of hand pronation to the, to the wrist orientation. Yeah. That's what I wanted to check. So if it's like the problem in the wrist, just yeah. means that the hand is more pronated relatively to the forearm. Most likely. Okay. How can you tell? With the Apple test. Okay. So, so those tests are really, really helpful, but there's a cool little test that you can actually, actually identify where the greatest tension in the nerve is. This. Aha. Uh -huh. Very good. Okay. Perfect. Okay. So but what I would say, do you know how to do it, do the, uh, the, the neurodynamic test yourself on them? Do you know how to, I, do you know how to execute that test segmentally? Segmentally, I just have to check probably deflection first and then like this. Okay. If they're ready. If you have them do it actively, you will not be able to tell where the, where the greatest tension on the nerve is. I know if the flexion is in the elbow, it's the uh, the occipital, occipital tunnel, if I'm not mistaken. But if it's, but if they don't feel the sensation, just flexing. Okay. You have to execute the test on them. Okay. Because you'll be able to feel where the tension increases as you're executing the test. So you want to look at the ulnar nerve neurodynamic test. Okay, mm -hmm. you have to be able to execute it because you'll be able to feel the resistance at the elbow, you'll be able to feel the resistance at the wrist, and then you can correlate that to um, number one, the tension that you're feeling and number two, the symptoms that they may have at the time, because you need a before and an after test, other than the symptom, because if they have some sensitivity, you might be successful with your reorientation, but they still may have symptoms. Nerves are funny. They take a while to change, right? Well, okay. So regarding the presentation that leads to this uh, occurrence of sensations. So the first step would be to untwist the, uh, the arm or oh, the uh, anterior expansion. You need, you need axial position. You need shoulder position. You need elbow position. You need wrist and hand position. Yeah, I, I was just wondering. So I'm guessing first you need AP expansion and then. So rely on, are, are you measuring the shoulder? Yeah. Okay. So rely on your test to guide what you need. Chances are you're going to have ER orientation approximately here. Okay, chances are. Okay, mm -hmm. so you're probably right that you're gonna you're gonna need both AP expansion. Okay, but again, trust your measurements. Don't don't guess. If you're if you're measuring directly, you should be able to determine what you need to do first. Okay, 
because if if you reorient this to allow the AP expansion and you get your ERs and IRs back proximally, this might be gone. Okay, but if it's not, then you keep going. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just wondering since the uh, this though forum is in pronation, so is it like right to assume that I would drive supination and humorous internal rotation? Um, at some point. Okay. At some point. Okay. Your first goal is to get everything to match. Okay. If I'm oriented into ER, if I have humoral ER, if I have proximal radius ER, I want to turn everything into IR first. So I get IR, 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 IR. So now it all matches. Now I go back and I turn it back over and now I teach them how to supinate at the same time and, and ER at the same time. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. Okay. Much easier to compress everything into IR first and then orient them back into e, to ER. And just uh, as I was watching also your video on the uh, elbow valgus presentation, is this the same as the uh, ulnar nerve hypermobility presentation? No. Okay. Um, I, let, me, let, me, let me take a baby step back. Yes and no. It okay. starts that way. And then you get more ER on top of it. So then the whole system tries to orient into ER. That's typically okay. going to okay, okay. create the, the ulnar nerve stuff. Jen, and, you see this all the time, right? Yeah. Jen Marcello, was, you probably see the ulnar nerve stuff all the time, right? With the pictures? It's not as often as you would think. At least, and maybe it was just randomly my population, but yeah. Because I've seen, like, I don't know. I don't know how many pictures I've seen with like ulnar transpose. Where they do the ulnar transposition. Typically, like you'll you'll see that in combo with the TJ. Yeah. Well, yeah. all the medial elbow stress, right? It's just gonna bend everything and then kapow, right? Because again, it's just an expansion strategy in the space. You took a space that was shaped like 90 degrees and you just open it up a little bit, and now you got an ulnar nerve that can slide all the way around. And that's what they're feeling. It doesn't pop out, it just slides around, you know? So, does that help you, Tam? Yeah. Good morning. Happy Tuesday. I have no coffee in hand, and it is perfect. All right, man. Very busy Tuesday coming up. Um, let's dig straight into today's Q&A. This is with Alex. Um, Alex was on the uh, Coffee Coaches Conference call uh, last week, and he's working with some clients in sideline. He's doing some manually assisted techniques to influence their ability to, to roll uh, from sideline. And so uh, for those of you that are, that are new to manual therapy or you're not sure how to guide the thorax under these circumstances, um, there'll be a representation in this one to show you where to put your hands and how to create 
um, these, these shape changes that we're talking about in sideline. Um, the discussion went even further to talk about some of the shape change that's associated with the sideline and then some of the clues that the patients will give you to let you know that they're not capable of, sh of changing shape and what shapes that they can assume. Um, in these sideline activities or even in sideline rest positions. So very, very useful video uh, for a lot of folks. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. Please include your question. We'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Tuesday, and I will see you tomorrow. Um, so my question is actually very similar to ends so i guess we can just go off that um so a lot of times what i'll do is i'll lie people on the right side and uh try and get them to roll left and maybe support their arm or something um and then my question is mostly about a couple cueing things so with the down arm often i'll align it along the same angle i'm rolling um but sometimes i just see the scapula kind of get pinned under them backwards and so my question is, what's the best thing to do about that? Sometimes I'll, I'll stick like a towel under there just to give it more space. Um, but if I'm trying to create the delay on the left as I roll. Okay, uh, so back me up for a second. What position are we yep. starting in right sideline? Yep. Okay, so we're in right sideline and you're, so uh, okay. where are you? So, yeah, <laughs> okay. Where are you standing? Are you- I'm standing- Often I'm standing in front of them and depending okay. on the circumstance, okay, like holding their arm. Okay. Stand behind them. Okay. okay. All right. If you're gonna guide the role, right? You want to be the scapula, not the arm. Okay. Okay. So you got somebody laying on the right side. Mm -hmm. You're behind them. Okay. The way that you would want to control the thorax is you're going to, so follow me here. Their head is now to your right. Yeah. You're going to take your left arm. You're going to reach up underneath their left arm and you're going to put your left hand on the front of their shoulder girdle. You're going to put your right hand on the back of their shoulder girdle. Yeah. So you, you now have absolute control over the thorax. Okay. So like, it is the arm like. Well, hopefully not like that. <laughs> Unless they don't pay, then by all means, you just keep cranking it and then they will pay. Okay. Yeah. I, um, <laughs> I, yes, I you have the right idea. Okay. Their, their arm is, you, you want, their arm is very relaxed and resting on yours. Their okay. arm is very relaxed and resting on yours. But, but the idea is, is that you have, you look like my left hand is now on the front of the shoulder girdle. My, my right hand is now on the back of the shoulder girdle. So, so I can do all sorts of cool things. I can create a downward pressure into the table and then I can start to, I can start to move the scapula and the shoulder girdle in whatever direction I want. If I want to create the, the late strategy, I, I compress the medial border of the scapula against the thorax and I, and I lead that forward. If I want to create the delay strategy on the bottom, I just put a little bit more pressure there. And then I use my elbow to push the thorax back so that, so it leads with the downside you see it uh yeah can i if i'm trying to create the delay on the left okay so how would you do that you keep, you keep the scapula forward you use your left hand and i just push this one faster so this stays forward right push the thorax 
hold the the scapula like tilted and okay yeah because all, all you're doing all you do, doing is creating a relative timing between the two sides mm -hmm. right so the downside's relatively fixed so i can manipulate the top side to create whatever i want on the downside or i can create it on the on the upside mm -hmm. Because if you got somebody that if you got somebody that's you know they they come in and they say Alex my uh, my right shoulder hurts and it, and they, you go well does it hurt when you lay on your side and they go yes it does it's like well don't put them on that side to roll because it hurts but they're they're telling you that they don't have the capacity for the shape change so that's when you would put it on the upside and now you can start to manipulate create the shape change then you flip them over on the other side you go how's that now and they go oh it's so much better because you're the best therapist i've ever worked with alex right? gotcha then you, then you hurt yourself patting yourself on the back that day you know and then there's the day where it doesn't work and you bang your head on the steering wheel on the way home Oh yeah, I have, yeah, I have a fair amount of those. Um, for the most part, we're trying to generally, in this circumstance, roll them diagonally. So, well, there is no, there's no, there's no straight line, my friend. Yeah, fair enough. So sometimes I struggle with the people who are at like a very steep angle and getting them to to feel like what exactly because everyone rolls just backwards. And so like teaching them that they have to roll at kind of a steep angle is kind of tricky sometimes. Yes. Do you have any, do you have any cueing that seems to work well for that? I'll say something along the lines of like, pretend there's a string pulling you or. Um, you, you, you can, but the, the best, since you you can lay hands, right? Yeah. The best way to do that is, is for you to create it and then teach them what to feel It is the best way. And then, so you're going to give your verbal cues as you're moving them through space, right? You have to create the sensation because they don't know what sensation that they're looking for. You know, and this is, this is where you, you become the better, the better coach, the better therapist is, is you understand where you need to take them. You take them there the best that you can. And, and again, you're the guide. And so what you say matters, how you lead them there matters. The sensations that you give them matters. Sometimes you just have to get better at that. Mm -hmm. right oh, for sure you know we can we can we can talk about ideals on on a you know context like this but the reality is it's like people are hard yeah you so know? once you once you get some movement that you want can i tell them to just pick the arm up off me and hold that position or when you say pick the arm up you mean to have them do it actively uh, no, honestly, so I'm supporting their arm in this scenario, the left arm, say, Correct. can I get them to just like lift it up without losing position? I don't know. You're so you're, you're, you're increasing muscle activity. Is that what you want? Maybe. Is, is that like an, that's a great answer. That's yeah. a great answer. It's like, what, 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 so in all seriousness. Okay. So if they lift the arm up, what did you just create? So, so, so let's no create a scenario. Hang on, hang on. Let's create a scenario. So they're on the right side. You push the scapula forward. So the left scapula is now ahead of the downside. So you've got a delay strategy on the downside. You're advancing the left side forward. And then you say, pick your arm up. What did you just create? Overcoming. You created a late representation on the, yeah. on the upside. If that's what you want, then I would do that. Okay. It's like if, if somebody's having trouble understanding what a reach feels like, hmm. you, create, you create the shape and then you say, now take your arm. And then they just created a reach. If I'm creating a delay on the left, 
Can okay. I, can I challenge their ability to maintain it? By, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. In fact, that's what you have to do yeah, at yeah. some point in time. At some point in time, you have to challenge that because that's how you know that that the that the effective change will stay. Like they they can actually access it. So you create the scenario first. You make sure that they understand it. They have a sensation to chase, right? And you say, now let me see if you can do it yourself. Yeah. Right. And so so now I say. I'm going to hold you back and prevent you from going into this late representation. This is what it's going to feel like. Now let's see if you can do it. Otherwise, they just go right back into the old strategy. They're going to push themselves into late representations and then you're back to square one. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So you got to get there first. You have, you have to put them in a position to be successful and then you have to progressively challenge those positions for them to maintain it in context. That's all you're talking about at this point. Right. If, I, if I'm trying to do this and they're just lying on the side with their knees together, okay. it, a lot of times, is that just going to make my life a lot harder? I don't like, know. Will that potentially just narrow like the space I need at the pelvis? Maybe. Maybe. So, so think about this for a sec. Okay. What's the difference between an active and a passive movement? Okay. Um, take take your arms out in front of you. Cross them in front of you. Okay. You see the triangle right in front of you. Mm -hmm. That space. Why can't you access it? Why is there Why is there a triangular space in front of me that I cannot? I, I like it's open. I can't get there no matter how hard I try. Why can't I do that? There's active muscle in the way. No. Anybody want to give it a shot? Anybody that's ever had a conversation? Alec, go ahead. Just because we're not we're not able to produce enough compression kind of uh, on the sternum, so that we we just cannot okay. allow the the excursion at the shoulder. Take that thought. Take that okay. thought and reverse the thought process. We're not able to create enough expansion posteriorly. Hmm. No. <laughs> you are so close. Because the muscles compress the sternum down. You compress the sternum back, so there's no space there anymore. Oh, I didn't. So, so I, can't, I can't access that because I'm, I'm actively compressing my sternum. Now, take your arm, passively pull it across your chest, and you can put your arm against your chest unless you're me, right? Because I didn't actively compress my chest. So the space, I can access that space passively because I can change the shape enough now because I didn't compress it, okay? If I'm laying on my side and my legs drop together passively, I might be perfectly fine with that mm -hmm. unless you start to move actively. Then maybe we need to think about a different process. You see what I'm getting at? Yeah. Here's, the cool, here's the cool thing. Here's the cool thing. You lay somebody down on their side. You just reoriented gravity. You just changed their physical shape. So you actually gave them AP expansion just by laying them on their side. You may have given them the space that just allows them to, to lay their legs on top of each other, but maybe you didn't. It depends on who we're talking about. Sometimes you got to put stuff between their legs. Why do people like to sleep with pillows between their knees, Alex? 
because some people, even when they lay on their side, they can't compress, they can't bring their legs together because they, they don't have that space there. So they take a pillow, they put it between their knees and they're sleeping like babies because now they're actually in a space that's comfortable. And these are probably the people where they lie on the side, they turn and their knee just like, yeah, pulls up with them. Well, you, 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 you mess with this. Like, so you try to teach them to roll and then they lift their leg up. Yeah. Yeah. You know why? Because they're just going where they can go. Right. So they can't, they can't scissor. They can't scissor their legs. They got to go like that. Right. They're telling, like, if, if, you, if you understand the language, it's like the patients tell you what to do, right? It's like somebody comes in. Okay, so here you go. Somebody comes in with a, with a complaint of shoulder pain, Alex. They say, it's my right shoulder. I can't sleep on my right side. Um, and then when I lay on my left side, I got to put a pillow between my knees because my back starts to hurt. It's like they're telling you what to do. It's like, oh, okay, I need, I need AP expansion on the, right, on the right side because they can't access spaces, right? They have to twist their spine to put their legs into a, into a position because they can't bring their knees close enough together. They literally have to turn their spine towards the, towards the they have to IR the spine into the bed and that's really uncomfortable because it's compressive all night long. Well, how do you move them back into an ER orientation? Well, you put a pillow between them. You see it? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, why you, that's why you do a subjective interview before you touch people is because they tell you what to do. But see, that's what all this, like when you were in school and they said, these are the questions that you ask somebody when they come in with shoulder pain. These are the questions that you ask somebody when they come in with whatever, whatever, right? It's like, no, you just ask the same questions because you just want to find out what shapes that it can acquire. Right? You ever ask somebody like, just which which hurts worse, standing or sitting? Yeah. Right. It's like sitting hurts. Okay, that means you're in a standing position, but you're trying to sit. <laughs> right. Yeah. And they go, oh, as soon as I stand up, I feel great. Okay, I know what orientation you're in before we even start. Mm. Get it? Yeah. Well, thank you very much. You're welcome. Good morning, happy Wednesday. I have neuro coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right, today is Wednesday, tomorrow is Thursday. That means tomorrow morning, as usual, 6 a.m. Coffee and Coaches Conference call. Great questions, great people, grab some coffee. Please join us in a bit of a hurry today. We're very short on time. We're gonna dig straight into the day's Q&A with Alec. And Alec brought to us a case study. So this is a great case study actually for a lot of reasons. Um, it's one of those situations where we have a little bit of an older client, they've got some adaptations that are gonna create some interference. So we have to create adaptations for them to overcome those, those limitations. And then we have to teach somebody to actually reduce the effects of gravity. We have somebody that's living at max P. They're producing a lot of force into the ground. This is not someone that's gonna benefit from the superficial loading that we would typically see with quote unquote training. And so this is a great situation for a lot of people that work with older clientele, which everybody will eventually work with because the older population is getting bigger and bigger as we speak. So Alec, thank you for bringing this, this case study 
Um, it's a really, really good one. It's going to help a lot of people. If you would like to participate in a 15-minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com. Askbillhartman at gmail.com. Remember to put 15-minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. Please include your question in the email. Everybody have an outstanding Wednesday. I will see you tomorrow morning, 6 a.m., Coffee and Coaches Conference Call. I'm working with a client. She's 65, 66, um, retired nurse, kind of a whole laundry list of issues. But the, the main problem I have is that right now she's, the overall goal is to maintain her autonomous at home and to lose weight. She has a torn meniscus on the left, a few history of back pain that is gone since we started working together. But the main problem is in the feet. She got arthritis in both feet, uh, insole for the shoe in both feet, and she got amertos and bunion on both feet. And now she recently she's been complaining of uh, like inner shin, inner foot pain a lot. And when you, when you look, say, when you say inner, where where are we? Medial. So pain along there uh along the inside of the foot but also like kind of going up the shin as gotcha. well i can dig it all right like she, and and uh, after a precise session she kind of um, she said that she had depressed moleolis like the medial moleolis kind of depressed or collapsed and um and when you look at her feet it's kind of like you almost feel like the the you're ready to see the the the, the balloon pop with the fluid just dripping. I'm with you. I understand. Immediately, yes. so now I'm like, okay, cool. And and when she walks, it's really like, like she's walking like a she's she has like, yeah. I don't know, like like okay. a like you see a chicken a, a cooked chicken walk. You know, you know what I mean. <laughs> just like this is one big bone. I got um, you. No, I, I I got you. So now I'm like. All right. Um, I, so, I venture so, to say she's a wide. She, she does perfectly but, fine with deadlifting, but I'm, I'm just trying to figure out what are we trying to restore at the foot? Okay. Hang on a sec. Hang on a sec. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, let me, let me, th let me make a statement. Um, I'm not, and I'm not passing judgment on your exercise selection because yep. I, I wasn't in the room. She's already deadlifting 500 pounds. Okay. And then you're going to have her deadlift more. Okay. Get out of the way. Okay. You understand? The foot that you're looking at, okay, is Boat somebody... foot. Huh? Boat feet. Cool. Match set. Okay. The feet that you're looking at. Yeah. Is somebody that is fighting gravity and pushing so hard into the ground that she cannot change shape. You have to get her away from the ground. So the, so the, the, her toes are kind of like this. I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of laying out my chessboard tomorrow. I haven't looked at her foot yet, but that's, that's what her amateur is. Yeah. Okay. So, so yeah, so, so her toes are like this and then her, her big toe looks like it's pointing out towards like right and left field. Right. Okay. So she's got the same twist in her knee. That's how she, how, so she had a degenerative meniscus or did she have an incident? I 
don't recall. Okay, based on age, I'm going to say it's degenerative. Okay, I, I would say so. Okay, so 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 the, the meniscus is on the left knee, and the main complaint is on the right foot. We got that. Okay, cool. understood. Understood. Wonderful. Not, um, but again, like I'm not concerned about about the exactness per se. We're looking at the orientations. We're looking. Uh, and we're looking at orientations. We're looking at directions. We're looking at positions, and then we're looking at structure. Okay. All right. So you, you've got some twists that are occurring because she's got to put constant force into the ground. So she she's walking around. You she she's got an invisible five hundred pound barbell on her shoulders. Okay. Okay. You got to get her up and out of that. Now here's the here's the concern. So if she's lost, like legitimately lost, toe range of motion. Yeah. Okay, through an arthritic change. So you have a yes. constraint change that you are not going to be able to alter. You have, exactly. to create a you have to create a substitution for that motion. Otherwise, she's going to keep walking like Frankenstein. Or what did you say, a cooked chicken? Yeah, yeah. Okay, you that's know, a new one. Just... Somebody write that one down. We're going to use that one. From the... I mean, on chicken drumstick. You see what I mean? Just like you, you just I, have I like you. the no, like just totally, one long like As soon as you said it, I got it. I, like I really did. Okay, cool, cool, cool. <laughs> and you know, it's kind of dancing. There are uh -huh. many of them. I'm with you, man. Okay, yeah. cool, cool, cool. I, I do that every time I cook a chicken. I do that when I take it Wonderful. out. Wonderful. Uh, no, it, it, so so we have to create a substitution for joint ranges of motion at the feet. Okay. Okay. How do you do that? Grace, Grace, I got pen and paper. I'm ready. Grace, say it out loud. Get them a pair of hokas. Okay, so this is where the mushy shoes come in. I hate mushy shoes. Okay. Okay, but the really thick-soled shoes um, are are the only way that you're going to be able to substitute for toe ranges of motion. Okay, when you've got a rigid foot that is arthritic, so it's like the there's there's like bony shape change. Um, there's there's joint related constraint changes. You've got to use mushy shoes because the, the, the as they transfer the weight over the mushy shoe, the shoe is going to compress and expand. Get it? The shoe yeah. compresses and expands, and it substitutes for the joint range of motion. Okay. So this okay. is where the mushy shoes come in. Okay. Now you got a double whammy. She's pushing into the ground, which means her tibia is going too fast. Okay. Yeah. How do you okay. slow a tibia down? How do you slow a tibia down from the ground up? I guess you push the center of gravity back. How do you do that with a? How do you do that from the ground up? From the ground up, I guess you yes. have her find her heels and kind of squat down and just can't push do that. the hips back. She can't do that. She's got a five hundred pound barbell on her shoulders, boss. What are we gonna do? Uh, okay. Um, Zach, Zach, our, say it. I saw you. I saw you do it, Zach. Like that's that's what her insole like have an arch. Right okay, side. she needs an arch. You're going to have to create some physical structure in okay. the shoe that's going to support the arch. And it's not about arch support, it's about slowing the tibia down. So now we got a mushy shoe with an arch that's going to help to slow down the tibia. Now she's going to be able to actually step over her foot instead of waddle from side to side like a cooked chicken. <laughs> yes, I will totally mention that to her. She'll have a great time. <laughs> Yeah, please don't please don't say that she walks like a cooked chicken. Hey, Bill, can I just ask whether I understood correctly? You would put something to create the uh, the arch beside the mushy shoes. 
in, or inside you, them, inside yeah, them. Yeah, you would put something, okay, to yeah. lift I need, the arch. I need more, I have to take up more space underneath the arch to make sure that the that the, the tibia doesn't go too fast. Because even in a mushy shoe, the tibia is going to go too fast, right? So we have to, we have, so we have, we have two issues. We have to substitute for foot joint range of motion and we have to slow the tibia down. So I need strategies for both circumstances. Now, once she's got those shoes on though, if I, if I am successful to any degree, you still got to train the delay strategy. Okay. Because, yeah. because she's still trying, she's living, she's living in max P. Take the barbell off of her shoulders. Okay. The, the invisible one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to get her up away from the ground. So now you got to start thinking strategies there. It's like, okay, how do I get everything to go up? Sometimes you got to reorient gravity. Sometimes you got to flip them upside down. Sometimes you got to roll them around the ground, you, you know, right? So, so, so taking somebody that is, that, is, that is trying to produce force constantly and then making them produce more force, not always the best solution. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's like, yeah. here's, here's the imaginary 500 pound barbell on your shoulders. Let me put another heavy barbell in your hands too. Right. Yeah. Okay. okay. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a test question. Is that cool? Yeah, go ahead. All right. So let's consider the fact that we're dealing with somebody that doesn't turn well. And you're going to do a light carry of some sort. Yes. Okay. What carry do you not want to do? Um, I would say a farmer carry. That is the correct answer. And then say what? Uh, this is nebulous, but if my memory is correct, by using a, um, like to, what I do is I kind of encourage pronation and middle P with a, a farmer carry as to where, let's say, a rack carry, I would kind of bias her towards early. Okay. There you go. See, now you're okay, thinking. Cool. Now you're thinking. It's like, it's like, oh, she lives at max P. Let's not do a bunch of activities that jam her into max P. Let's mm. give her opportunities to create excursion so she's not stuck there. She still has to move through it because she's human. She's on earth. She's going to move through it, right? But now I'm going to teach her the relative timing to move through it. So yeah. now she's sequential and she distributes the forces instead of putting them, right? Yeah. So it? similarly, I guess we off the bat we can kind of take for granted probably sled pull, not sled push. Uh, yeah, I, I okay. could I could probably go along with that. But okay. the thing I want you to recognize is like you have to reduce the duration of middle P max P stuff because she's already killing herself there. Yeah. Okay. Right. Give hey, her the, end of the spectrum so you can move her through. Yes, sir. Yeah. Would Would you have her do um, any like reverse banded or TRX style so that deways her? Also, with that, but like not not being in max P or mid P, would you have her like maybe reverse lunge on the TRX so that Tavia um, goes? Back? My uh, may, lunge, maybe but, uh, if, if she had the capacity to reverse lunge, the picture yeah, that's that the thing. It's like way... say, the picture that I have in my head is that this lady's not going to do much lunging for a while. No, right, no, right, right. 
it's, yeah. it's a lot right. aggressive but, but you're but you're you're not wrong it's just like let's just think about this 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 client right so if she was to do a reverse lunge right now lalo um she's doing a reverse lunge with a 500 pound barbell on her shoulders which is what we don't want right even if she's de-weighed it won't be it won't make yeah. sense well, again, it's like, how much can you deload her? And, and, and then again, when does it just become kind of ridiculous to how much you have to unload her, right? right. But, like, but her, like, so let's think about this for a second. So uh, Alex, so if we were gonna do a squat, so let's take Lalo's suggestion, cause it's a really good one. Barbell on the back or something and a band to pull her up kind of thing. Okay, do we have to put a barbell on her back? Should or whatever, back? whatever implements that allow us to have her Literally, be dude, pulled up just, by a band. Just take two bands and strap her up like, like she's on a parachute. Okay, wonderful. Okay. All right. Cool. And then, okay, now think about this for a sec. Do I want a slow tempo box squat? Or Someone said tempo? no, but I would have a tendency to say yes. Okay. Um, and we're speaking in relative terms here because again, a 65 year old uh, person with, with you know, wonky feet and a knee, you got you to take this with a grain of salt. So you have to understand what I'm saying. We're speaking in relative terms. Okay. Do I want to prolong middle P or do I want to- Oh shoot? yeah, we would probably want to go fast so she doesn't spend a ton of time around. Okay, okay, okay. Fast being relative. Yeah, yeah I, I know. Fast Fast for a 65-year-old retired nurse with crappy feet and a meniscus injury. Okay. Yeah. You understand? Yeah. Okay. Just so we're just so we're clear on that. Good morning. Happy Thursday. I have NeuroCoffee in hand and it is perfect. So I was wondering about single leg stances and like single leg not asymmetrical yep. and i have two sort of questions that hopefully relate in some way number one is when might that be a potential strategy with a client um just like an extended single leg stance where they're either balancing or they're switching from one side to another <laughs> all right got, got interrupted there dude that's okay. I thought, I thought I said something wrong already. You you will always lose that battle of my attention when when she is that close to me. So uh, sorry. So not, single leg stance. Not a problem. Okay. So <laughs> a single leg stance, to my mind, requires that you have full hip range of motion um, because you would have to have an internally rotated. Like if you're just standing on one leg, right? You would have to have an internally rotated uh, femur, you'd have to be right over that leg. And then you'd also have to have the posterior expansion, like the yielding strategy so that you're not, you're not using something up the chain to, to create that. Okay. So I guess the first question is if we're looking to use a single leg stance exercise where you spend enough time on a leg and you get full hip extension, are you, is, is that the requirement is that you have full hip range of motion or is that there are there stipulations that well, do that? Yeah. To, to, to acquire a single leg stance without a compensatory strategy, you would need intro rotation into the ground because that's, so when you're standing upright on two legs, your bias is towards internal rotation at the very, at the very top, right? 
okay? And if you pick up one leg, now you got to shift your center of gravity towards that foot, right? Which would, which would mean that I would need to have that internal rotation available to do that. Like I said, otherwise you're going to use a compensation in which you're going to anterior orient. You're going to, you're going to turn it into an ER representation, which if you've ever taught somebody like a single leg RDL for the first time, they always externally rotate into that position, right? Right. Um, so, so yeah, so you're going to need, you're going to need, and, and, and keep in mind that as you take away foot contacts, you're losing a lot of relative motion in this circumstance. So you're creating what looks like a cantilevered position of the pelvis on a single post, if you will. Yeah. So you can't have a lot of relative motion available to you under those circumstances. Right. So you would also need your... So it's very strongly middle if you can execute it effectively. Got it. So it, to my mind, you would still... You need to also, in addition to the internal rotation, have full external rotation capabilities only because... The, the same thing that you're saying, you need more, you need more relative motion to do something with less relative motion. You have to start with it because, because again, it's like, as soon as you pick up the other leg, you got to squeeze it. Like your pelvis as a, as a, as a ring would compress into a tighter circle. If, if, if you could look at it that way. Right. Right. And so if I start in a compressed situation, the chances of me having the, the full IR capability would be slim. Right? right. So then you're, you're more likely to use a compensatory strategy under those circumstances. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Got it. Okay. And then the second question is more to do with application. So I don't use a lot of purely single leg stuff, even like cross connect or step ups with clients. And, um, but I have a lot of clients who are, are becoming much more capable and they have, you know, pretty close to full, like hundred degrees on both sides, hip range of motion. And uh -huh. um, so my question is, what are some potential strategies to go from being competent asymmetrically to being competent on one leg? Um, and specifically with that sort of standing position, the cantilever over that leg. Well, okay. So um, aside from like the more dynamic kind of activities, when you're in the gym, like if you're doing if you're doing strength training in the gym, what are your single leg activities? Uh, like a single leg squats, single leg deadlifts. Um, yeah, there's not a lot. <laughs> a step up is a single leg. That's on a right. that's on a single leg, right? Um, you can do like a, like, again, if your deadlift consists of that, that single leg RDL kind of a thing, it's like, there's really not a whole lot going on there, you know, from a single leg standpoint, as far as exercise selection is concerned. Sure. Right? Um, but, you know, a thing like, a, you know, like a cross connect that is representative of a, of a single leg stance with, with a lesser, obviously, gravity demand and such. That's why you would use those things is so you can acquire that early representation so you can capture the, the internal rotation that comes right after it, okay? Um, but activities that are, are like shorter duration, single leg stance, like marching, like an A march, things like that, which looks like a standing cross connect, right? Mm -hmm. um, so th those types of activities, so th those dynamic activities tend to be a nice transition 
right? Just to teach people to push into the floor, right? Make sure that you're you're demonstrating the the, the control of the pelvis in space, yeah. right? So they're not using compensatory strategies just to pick up one foot. Do you think that right? you would want to start with the ability to hold the say the top of an A march? Um, before the heel breaks, um, or actually, I don't really know what name arches, but I'll get to that. Um, <laughs> um, but if do you want to start with the position and then go to the dynamic activity, or okay? So hang on. So so think about think about what you can do here that still has an element of support. Okay. So okay. if I take a if I take a really high box and I put your foot up on the high box, you're in a single leg. You're you're sort of in. I mean, it's a two foot contact, obviously. But from a positional standpoint, you're driving the internal rotation into the ground on the downside leg. Right. So, so what you may do here, so you, you have a whole world of activities that you can apply here as a transition. So you can do your chops here. You can do lifts here. You can do presses. Um, you can take your pick. If, you, if they've got the full excursion, you could do an overhead press in this position. Right, so you're starting to teach them how to drive internal rotation into the ground because that's what they're going to have to do to hold their position, right? Otherwise, when they pick up their foot, boom, the, the pelvis is going to going to drop. You're going to see the turns that you probably don't want to see, and so you have to you have to train them to maintain the um, the compressed position, if you will, in the single leg stance so they can hold position. Right, and this okay. is where like toe touch. You know your toe touch, uh, single leg RDLs where where they're just touching a toe behind them. So you're just progressively unweighting them into a single leg stance where they're increasing the amount of force that they're applying to the ground so they can learn how to hold position. Got it. Does that make Got sense? It. Yeah. And then for I guess last thing is for a general population clients, um, the utility of using a single leg stance might be to just maintain full um, IR capabilities, improve full IR capabilities. Yeah, because we, we want people to be force producers. Right. I want people to produce as much force as they possibly can without sacrificing something that they need. That's all. Right. And, and so, yeah, I mean, there's, there's utility in them for sure. Yeah. Just from a, being a human standpoint, right? Now, you're never gonna, you're, you're never gonna have a situation where the degree of load would would approach what a bilateral symmetrical activity would have. I mean, some people can do certain things that's really cool, you know, um, on a single leg, and that's fine. Um, but generally speaking, it's not going to be your <clears throat> heaviest of loads. Right. right? You're not, not going to do a single leg good morning, you know, with, uh, you know, 250 pounds. Although somebody might be able to do that, I suppose. There's probably somebody out there that can do it. <laughs> Yep. Okay, cool. Thank you. Good morning. Happy Friday. I have neural coffee in hand and it is perfect. All right. Those of you on the two week sprint, this is your recovery regeneration weekend. So looking forward to that. Uh, busy Friday, digging into today's Q&A. 
This is from the Coffee and Coaches conference call yesterday, and this is with, with Alec. Alec asked a great foundational question, and so this is distinguishing between muscle behavior and connective tissue behavior, which I think is still a confusing uh, subject for a lot of people. Muscle behavior determines joint position. Connective tissue behavior is the way that we uh, create and utilize energy for the movement. And so that's the big distinguishing characteristic here. Um, we actually put it into context during a, a strength training exercise. I think we used a dumbbell fly uh, for this one um, as a descriptor that it's, a, it's an exercise that's common to a lot of people as far as their understanding is concerned. Maybe not utilized very much at all, but at least it gives us a nice representative context to have this discussion in so we can all understand this. So thank you, Alec. It's a great question. I'm gonna help a lot of people with that. If you would like to participate in a 15 minute consultation, please go to askbillhartman at gmail.com, askbillhartman at gmail.com. Please put 15 minute consultation in the subject line so I don't delete it. And also include your question in the email. We'll arrange that at our mutual convenience. Everybody have an outstanding Friday. Don't forget to go to the YouTube channel, get subscribed there so you can get all these videos um, at your uh, convenience. And we will see you all next week. Yes, I was wondering if we could dive a little bit more into the role that overcoming and yielding strategy uh, while action respectively play in recapturing eccentric orientation of musculature. Um, yeah. How, how each play a role um, and where would isometric, traditional isometric activity play a role in there? I know you're not a fan because it's it's very poorly <laughs> defining. What I, what I mean by that is that is is like in in what way, how much of a difference in recapturing eccentric orientation would it be to be at, let's say, a, a, a point in joint excursion where in that point, am I trying to go further into excursion? So let's say I would be doing a fly. I would be trying to get my arms together or I would just stay there or I would let the weight pull me apart. Do you, do you see what I'm trying to ask here? Um, 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 I, let's do this. Let's do this. Okay. Give me a specific context and let's talk our way through and see if we can figure this out. Okay, let's say we're talking about an. Um, Go back to your fly a, example. Go back to your yeah, fly. Yeah, fly. Okay, and then yeah. and then, but let's formulate. Let's formulate a, a like a question out of this. Like like, what are you trying to? What problem are you trying to solve? And and we'll do this with the dumbbell fly thing. So this is with weight in your hands, correct? Yes, but I'm it, um, it, I'm I'm more trying to understand principles here. I I, I really don't care for I couldn't care more for flies. Uh, it's it's understood, more, but 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 we but at least we have a context so we can we can use yeah, a sure. so, so let's say, let's say the the I'm in a situation where I have a client um, and that client has like we like quote unquote uh, rounded shoulders and and my thinking is that i need to recapture uh orientation like i want to create an opening of the interior thorax let's say and i do understand i need to address pump handle with that absolutely but i i also find that i i want to address the musculature that is higher on the thorax and then i'm trying to recapture eccentric orientation of the, the those uh 
those musculature. Gotcha. So then I'm like, okay, cool. Let's just have them in a situation where they're kind of over time yielding. And with that, I have breeding. Okay. And I'm wondering, would that be possibly efficient at altering their kind of resting? To expand, to expand yeah. the anterior thorax? Okay. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's talk about, is, and this is with load in their hands, correct? Yeah, but it would be like a minimal load that, that would be tolerable for a long time. Understood, but okay, they are they are applying force against a resistance. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what what is required? What is required to increase the a, a synovial joint's ability to move? Is it muscle orientation or connective tissue behavior? That is what I don't know. Answer my okay. question. Okay. So that's the question. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So we're, so basically we're talking about static stretching, right? Uh, I do. I don't understand how we got there. Okay. So you're at the bottom of a fly. Yeah. You got dumbbells in your hands. Yes. You feel tension on your chest. Yes. Okay. Is, is that muscle eccentrically oriented or concentrically oriented? Damasuni is essentially eccentrically oriented. Is it applying force to the weight? It is. Then how could it possibly be eccentrically oriented because eccentrically oriented muscle doesn't have any tension on it? So okay. we're talking about static stretching. You understand? You're taking a muscle that is concentrically oriented. You're putting tension on it. You're moving it to the end of the excursion of the connective tissues. Okay. That's why okay. you feel. That's why you feel that, right? Because you're you're feeling the load on the connective tissue at that point. Okay. But the muscle is active. Okay. You're pulling on it, right? You're pulling on it, right? But it's trying to stay in a shortened representation. Okay. Mm -hmm. Some of the muscle may be eccentrically oriented on that circumstance to access a joint position, but under most cases, you're just pulling on connective tissues. Otherwise, you would demonstrate a full excursion of the joint range of motion. And in most cases, under load, you will not do that. Okay, yeah. Because the muscle is active. Okay? Okay. Okay. To change joint position, that is a muscle-based uh, change Okay. okay. So for me to move my elbow from its bent position to its straightened position, the, the, the biceps would have to change its orientation from concentric to eccentric orientation. Okay. You understand that, right? I think okay. so. <laughs> right. But if I put a big weight on it, right, let's, let's just say it's a weight that I can't, I can't lift, but I can hold it in that position. Mm -hmm. that's that's not a relaxed muscle that's not an eccentrically oriented muscle there's just a lot of tension on it right? okay yeah okay so so if you're doing a fly with the intention of creating an expansion anteriorly i would say that that's probably an exercise in futility because you've got muscles that are trying to produce tension so if i fix my hands if i fix my hands out here with a load on it and these muscles are active this is the fixed point. And what do you think is going to happen at this end where the muscle attaches to my sternum? Well, it's going to be, it's going to be pulled. It's going to compress. Yeah. It's not going to pull it up. It's going to push it down. 
because yeah, the, yeah, muscles, yeah, yeah. the muscles trying the muscles trying to shorten against the resistance and so whatever can move will move these are synovial joints except for the first one these are synovial joints right okay boom it's just going to compress the sternum back and and that is not that is not an increase in relative motion so that is why i suppose with the 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 terms you 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 coined with your model this is where eccentric this is where orientation is uh, is strictly a comment about muscle behavior that is correct and the so, so orientation and not not a, and not necessarily the the like the joint excursion correct like you could you could correct. be concentric at like end range to what people would consider a stretch position right you could be concentric at with a length Right. And then the, um, and then this is where also um, yielding and overcoming or more about the connective tissue behavior. That is correct. Okay, cool. And in that case, you so could you end up with like a concentric orientation with yielding action? That's what we just described. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's literally. And I suppose that would be getting into a cut. Let's see. Uh, I hope so. Okay, cool, 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 cool. Hope so. Yeah. Okay. Because, so it's the connective tissues that, that provides the energy for the movement. Okay. Right? Muscle, the muscles are going to control joint positions, right? So that the connective tissues behave appropriately so they can store and release the energy for movement. Otherwise, if, if, if we used muscle to move with, it would be exhausting. And it is sometimes for a lot of people because that's what they're trying to do. Yeah. they don't have very good good connective tissue behavior to begin with okay right and so, so i guess this is this is why when we're trying to change joint positions we talk about less effort not yeah more effort, okay. right the people that are you know there's people that, that complain about uh tight hip flexors and stuff like that yeah and then they they put their leg behind them like did is it called a couch stretch does that sound familiar yeah Give me yeah. a thumbs up if I'm saying something. I, yeah. I don't. I don't ever use that stretch because um, it doesn't do anything other than hurt. And um, so they put their foot against something and then they lean back on it and they feel this really hard stretch and they think they're doing something. It's like all you're doing is inflicting pain on yourself, which could be valuable under a certain circumstance. You might get a flexibility reserve out of it that might protect you under some circumstance, but you're not changing joint positions. All you're doing is trying to pull on a muscle that does not want to move. Right, that's a concentric yeah. oriented muscle that you're pulling to length. That's not eccentric orientation. When I say eccentric orientation, I'm talking about a muscle position mm -hmm. that is representative of a specific behavior where there is no tension on that muscle. So in that case, I don't know if you can see. I that. cannot see that. Hang on a second. Let me pin you so I can. I can maybe I can see it. Uh, So that's pretty good. Uh, that's pretty okay, good. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's pretty so, good. So, but just for the like, let's say the yielding and overcoming part. Yeah. Um. So I guess that yielding would be either receiving or storing energy or lengthening. Yes. And overcoming an expansion would be of the like, connective tissues. That's how you want to look at that. Sorry, say that again. It's an expansion of the connective tissues in a specific manner. That and overcoming either... would be compressing. Yes. Okay, wonderful.
that was uh it'd be the re-stiffening if you will right so like we have an expansion of, of connective tissue that would either store or depending on the, the distribution it would dampen force right wonderful thank you